Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Nolan Bignall. On today's show, first we'll be joined in studio by RC360's Stacey Cardigan-Smith. She'll tell us about a family whose young son is dealing with childhood post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll talk about a new program that's going to help those suffering after they leave the hospital. Then we'll be joined in studio by Shirley Grierson. She's the Executive Director of Artisan Healthcare Manitoba. She'll tell us all about their arts programming that helps patients cope with potentially difficult times during their hospital stays. And then we've got some fast pitch tickets to give away, so stay tuned for information on how to win two free tickets to this week's Fast Pitch Final. And finally, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to talk about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Winnipeg Citizen Journalism Project Community News Commons. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. So, Robert, today's show is... is uh, quite an eclectic mix. We've got a lot of interesting stories, but up first, uh, we're going to be joined in studio by Stacy Cardigan-Smith. Uh, she's one of the uh, senior producers here at River City 360, and she's got a very interesting story about uh, a family that's dealing with a child who is actually suffering from PTSD, which, uh, have you ever heard of, a, first of all, a, a child having this this issue? That's the first that I've heard of a child right, having PTSD. I mean, yeah. Quite normally, you hear about soldiers or people who go through traumatic accidents, car crashes sometimes that go through it. Um, but this young man uh, is eight years old now. And uh, when he was, well, I mean, you're, you're going to hear all about the story through through uh, through Stacy that's about to join us in the studio. But this young man, um, when he was really little, uh, had a, a series of different um uh, medical procedures, and it really kind of had an effect on his, on his well-being. So we're going to talk to Stacy all about that. We're going to learn their story, and we're going to talk about a new uh, program that's that's uh, here in Winnipeg to sort of help families that are going through this, because not always do hospitals uh, are, are, are hospitals equipped to deal with something you know that's such a rare case. But it it does it does happen. So uh, really excited to hear from Stacy, and uh, and the rest of the show is going to be fantastic as well. But before we get to that, we're going to start things off with a song. Seeing as how this is our first show of April, we've got Henry Cuesta with Forever April right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. When you hear about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, what do you think of? Um, we've all heard stories of soldiers coming back from war or adults that have gone through uh, unspeakable tragedies, but rarely do we hear about children who have PTSD or even babies that suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, PTSD is a very real condition, uh, even in small children, and River City 360's Stacy Cardigan-Smith spoke with the mother of one of these children, Dawn Isaac. Dawn is the Director of Development and Special Programs at the Alnu Renewal Center, which is a center that supports families to create individual therapeutic plans using using counseling, education, support, and guidance. Uh, after going through a personal tragedy where her own son was born premature and required multiple invasive surgeries as a small as a small baby, essentially, she's now trying to help other families deal with PTSD. Stacy Cardiman-Smith now joins us in studio to tell us about the Alnu Renewal Center, uh, about Dawn Isaac, and about her entire story. Stacy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about Dawn. I know you spoke with her at length uh, a while ago. Uh, how is she doing? How is her son doing now? What happened to the poor little guy that caused these symptoms? And just sort of tell us a, a little summary of the story so far. Sure. Her son, Sasha, was born six weeks premature, and he also required a number of invasive medical procedures. He had two open heart surgeries and a major, major stomach surgery. Mm. And so now th- this was eight years ago. He's eight years old now and he's physically healthy. Like okay. they were able to make, make him well again. Right. But he still he suffers from PTSD now. And you know what? It's not only him that's impacted uh he has a little brother named nico and nico um was just i guess about a a, almost two about a year and a half um when uh, sasha had one of these surgeries and um he saw his his big brother um kind of right after he had one of the surgeries and um he was still in some pain and not really able to speak and Nico was really impacted as well. He he regressed. So? He stopped speaking. Um, like he was already talking. He was and talking, then he and this. then he saw his brother, and it kind of just really it traumatized him, and right. he stopped talking. And I mean, and then there's Dawn and and her partner, and and the whole family. Like they they all had to go through this a number of medical procedures, and and the, the effects were long lasting. For sure. So for um, for Sasha, for example, he's still having trouble sleeping. He's easily spooked. He's very nervous by himself. He always wants to have um, kind of one of his protectors around him. And um, Nico, his little brother, I mean, he's doing a lot better, but there's still some lasting impacts. Dawn kind of uh, explained to me how children are often scared when visiting the hospital. Um, Even though it's there to make them feel better, when they're young, they just, they don't understand. Little ones don't understand that what's happening to them is actually saving their lives what they feel is the painful medical procedures. Especially from infants in in the NICU, you can't explain to an infant uh, in any language that they're going to understand that what's happening to them needs to happen. So oftentimes when they get even just routine needles all the time, um, they they can feel quite traumatized by that. So the reason um, I got in in touch with Dawn and started talking to her about this whole story is recently the Winnipeg Foundation provided a grant uh, to support uh, the development of something called the Pediatric Medical Traumatic Stress Program. Um, So there are a couple grants or a couple funds that supported that grant, including the Moffitt Family Fund and the Community Building Funds here at the Winnipeg Foundation. So $45,000 going to support this new program that's happening. What what is the program going to help? Like, how is it going to 
help families and how is it going to help uh, uh, Dawn and, and her son? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously Dawn has firsthand experience with this. Right. So she, because patients living with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, they require specialized focus and attention. And um, for families going through the process, um, although there are resources allocated when they're actually in the hospital right. going through that, once once um, they're discharged from the hospital, um, if those systems persist, there's nothing really in terms of a support system in place for, for the patient or the family. So what happened is uh, Dawn, along with a co-worker whose family had also undergone um, significant uh, pediatric traumatic stress uh, following a car accident, they decided to develop a program that would address some of these issues. It's, it's interesting to think about this because we almost think when, when kids are young enough to not remember it that it's not affecting them. Like it's not actually going to affect you later in your life because you don't affect it or you don't remember it affecting you. But medical trauma is sort of a, a new focus on, on what's, what happens to kids when they have to go through these terrible things even though they may not remember it happening it's still kind of affecting them so yeah there's like there's if there's lingering results from that so yeah. what does it mean to go through this as a as a young child and what does medical trauma exactly mean well, okay so um medical trauma can kind of you know it could be something like a car accident it can be something like undergoing surgery in a hospital that sort of thing because he's still under the he's still going to be under the effects of, of anesthetic but it's still a terrible experience well and you know what it's not even like sometimes it's yeah obviously they're not awake for the procedure but even getting a number of needles right, right? like when you're sick you're getting many many needles and, and they don't, don't understand why, yeah, they don't right understand, yeah. so there's statistics saying that up to 80 percent of families and their children that undergo traumatic medical events um will have symptoms of ptsd so dawn um after having her family experience that she wanted to help other families Great. and um what they came across when they were doing that research is that there's a center for pediatric traumatic stress at the children's hospital in philadelphia so that's been a major major help um, for them in developing a localized pro Just uh, there, program. There wasn't anything in Winnipeg, so they needed something to kind exactly. of... Exactly. But but other locations are looking into this because Great. it's, you know, it's a very real issue and lasting impacts on the children. So uh, we, we've, we've kind of seen in movies and, and TV shows what happens with, with an adult that has suffered from PTSD. But what happens with a, a kid? Is it is it the same kind of a thing or what happens with a child? Um, some Yeah, some of the same things. Um, there's an inability to fall into a, a healthy sleep routine. Um, they're being fearful or hypervigilant, um, very easy to startle. They can act out, be aggressive, or mm. um, on the flip side, be really withdrawn. Um, and uh, as we said, um, in the case of Sasha, he's afraid of being alone without his, uh, you know, a, a protector or a adult he felt comfortable with. So we kind of talked about it before, but how is it, if some, if an adult is going through something, they, they're conscious of it, they're aware that there's trauma happening and they're able to kind of process it. But for a child who doesn't really have the cognitive, even a baby doesn't have the cognitive abilities to, to understand what's really happening to them. Is there a difference? Like when your brain is developing as a child, does PTSD affect your brain differently when it's not fully developed yet? Um, Dawn did speak about this and I am not, I'm no expert in this <laughs> oh, yeah. area. Um, so I'll just let her explain it. When we've been looking at our research, we're sort of also taking a neurobiology um, approach to it as well. So a lot of the traumas 
like for him, happened in infancy during a critical brain development, and it actually happened, the trauma actually happened in his brainstem, with your brainstem being sort of like your most basic part of your brain, like your reptile brain, if you were to think of it that way. So it's responsible for like breathing, um, your heart rate, physiological responses. Then the middle part of the brain is your emotional brain, and then the top part is your thinking brain, your cognitive brain. And a lot of therapies will just attack, will just deal with the top part of the brain. How, but if how the do you solve this for, for a child? Like, is, he, is this going to be with him forever? Or how, how are they, so how are they approaching this, this difficult not, situation? Well, a lot is that they're going to help the child and the family at the same time so that they can work together. But, I mean, every case is different. So the program has to be tailored to each family. Here's Don to talk a little bit more about that. So what we're doing with this program is looking at a wide range of therapeutic interventions that would be designed for each family or each child's um, unique circumstances. So what we have in our toolkit then um, at Alno is we have a bunch of different types of therapeutic interventions that would be appropriate for the different areas of trauma. Uh, that personalized touch is a real strength of the program. And uh, being able to focus on each child on a case-by-case basis is incredibly important. Yeah, I would imagine every single case is going to be different because they go through something different and then probably people react to things differently. And I don't know, I, I don't wish that on anyone. That, that's that got to be a very difficult experience to go through. Um, for our listeners that are, that are hearing this story and want to learn more about the program or about childhood PTSD, uh, where can they go? What can they do? Well, um, they're running workshops and training sessions at Alnu, um, and there's a lot of information and resources on their website, which is alnu, A-U-L-N-E-A-U dot com, or you can phone uh, 204-615-0182. And I know um, right now uh, Dawn and her colleagues at Alnu are working with um, healthcare providers locally just to see how they can take some of that information that's been developed and implement it locally. I think that's probably the biggest thing about it is we don't really, we're just learning now how this, how these things are kind of affecting kids at such a young age. So, I mean, once the, uh, once the knowledge gets out there and once the education can happen, then I think more people can probably get the help that they need. It's true. And, you know, and, and Dawn said that, like, she's not critical at all of this care that she oh, and her sure. family received and, and little Sasha, she said they received great care, but mm. it's just there's room for a little bit of improvement. What you don't know, you yeah. know, you can't you can't change. So that's great. So alnew.com, which is A-U-L-N-E-A-U.com or phone 204-615-0182. Thank you very much, Stacey Cardigan-Smith, for talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks, Stacey. And thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Shirley Grusin. She's the executive director of Artisan Healthcare Manitoba, and she'll tell us all about how their musical and arts programming is helping patients all throughout our province. But first, here's Herman's Herbits with Something's Happening right here on River City 360. Something is happening and it started happening when you walked by.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you, and we're now joined by Shirley Grierson. She's the Executive Director of Artisan Healthcare Manitoba. Shirley, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having us. So first of all, tell us a little bit about Artisan Healthcare Manitoba and what the organization does. They have been an incorporated charity, not-for-profit, since 2001, and our biggest program is Music to My Ears, which is now in about 20 facilities throughout the province. So primarily in Winnipeg, but we have a lot of music going on in Brandon. Boundary Trails, Steinbeck, Selkirk Mental Health Centre, we have a big program there that includes dance movement therapy and live music and art. And so the musicians, basically they're like traveling minstrels. So they, we've got a big program at Cancer Care as well. So they just sit and play for you when you're having treatment. And they sit in the end of hall at palliative care units all over the place and people, we never knock on a door, but if someone says, could you come and play here? We go play for you in a room. We've played during bone marrow transplants and heard that that was a great experience. So we're at a lot of places in Winnipeg and people want musicians and we send them. And we do art at the bedside. That's at St. Boniface Hospital. So that's a paid coordinator position with eight to 15 volunteers. So they've got these great Lee Valley art suitcases and they go room to room. And if you want to print make or work with fiber, all kinds of different art projects, you can do something to distract yourself and spend some time chatting to a friendly volunteer and that's also at Cancer Care Art by the Big Blue Chair too. So it's not just it's not just music, it's all different types of art. It kind of is an all-encompassing. Music is the biggest. Art visual art would be the second. Then at Selkirk Mental Health, we have a brilliant dance movement therapist Carissa Martins who's just doing a fantastic job. And we have our Manitoba Chamber Orchestra concert series. We have had a WSO concert series. And those kind of come and go depending on finding a sponsor for those in particular, those two. What sparked the idea of establishing something like this here in Manitoba? Way back, the original spark was, um, if I'm recalling because it's before my time, Sherry Johnson, Susan Johnson, Naomi Girard, and one other woman whose name I have forgotten who got together. Two of them had had different health issues that they found that making a piece of visual art really distracts you from stress, you know, in treatment or whatnot. And they went to the first Society of the Arts conference in, I think, Edmonton, or the organization went there and brought it back to Winnipeg and slowly started doing little projects and getting things up and going. How many people would you say that the program reaches in total? We kind of try to make respectful guesses. So at one point we tried to do what we call a respectful estimate working with staff and musicians. So if you go in for a three-hour session and you play for two patients, you play for two patients. But if you move throughout St. Boniface or HSC and you're in a, a waiting area, or in a hallway where people are going by, you could play for 40 people in the course of an hour. So we kind of respectfully guesstimate that we play for 7,000 patients a month throughout the province. Why are programs like these so beneficial and important to the patients? Well, in hospitals, 
I mean, it's a medical environment and the goal is to fix your arm, remove your appendix, to perform a function that's that's absolutely vital and essential. And budgets and healthcare deficits are huge. So although there's lots of goodwill and people I'm sure would have pro programs like ours, it just, it's never on the radar in your budget. We've been really fortunate to have some funders and some foundations, the Winnipeg Foundation, big time. And the Johnston Group is paying for our MCO series, the Selkirk Area and Community Foundation. Manitoba Arts Council has supported us for a decade easily, Winnipeg Arts Council as well. We just keep looking for the patron who would love this concept. For the artists, I'm sure it must be very rewarding to go in and and get to help a whole bunch of people just make their day a little bit brighter. Super fulfilling for them. They get a lot of great feedback. We had a physician at St. Boniface take the time to find our website and email to say that every time she went into work when there was a musician in the unit she was in, that it just had this humanizing and relaxing effect. And she just emailed to thank us. And you get patients walking in. This one goes back. It was Aaron Shore at Health Sciences Center and a gentleman walked in for his first chemo appointment and walked up to him and said, you know, I was really worried about this, but just seeing that you're here, I'm kind of relaxing and I, everything's going to be okay. So lots of that. Because it, it's not what you'd expect to find there. And I mean, even just chatting with you guys, if there was an instrumental guitarist sitting and playing here, like it's the relaxation response. So your blood pressure goes down, your respiration slows down and you just feel better. And it's not therapy. It's not music therapy at all. It's just musicians who play. One of the things, actually, in, in looking at your Facebook page, and you had a quote from a really great book. I actually went through this program at the UW myself, the textbook, The Defiant Imagination, um, by Max Wyman, which is a great book. But there's a quote in there that I really liked, and there's a few other statistics that go with it. But for the sake of time, I'll just read the portion of the quote. So recent studies have shown that participation in the arts reduces stress levels, reduces fear and the sense of isolation, has beneficial effects on the immune system, reduces the need for medication and painkillers and shortens hospital stays yeah. you know that's quite significant just yeah even if it's a small difference the fact that the fact that it does make a difference in in someone's life because yeah. it's not an easy place to be at I, I would imagine our, our Selkirk mental health program is going into year two and the first time that we sent a musician into play in the Alzheimer and dementia unit some of the staff said aha this one this one this one and this one these guys aren't going to need meds this afternoon so whatever it was that the music and, and movement did for them, you know, maybe it's exercise, maybe it what it's what music does to the brain, but it, the staff knew right away that they'd be calm and not agitated, so. Just sort of contributing to an overall well-being. Yeah. It might not be the music itself, but, you know, it might be a piece of the, piece yeah, of the puzzle. For sure. What has been some of the response from the artists who participate in the program? We've had a bunch of them, from senior musicians like Tim Cummings and Ron Halderson to a number of the music students who, like, I remember when Ron and Tim walked out the first time they played in Cancer Care in 2004 or five. they were both like, wow, we've played for our whole careers and we've never heard people listen to us that acutely. And the students who go wow, I've, I've been a musician for all of my short, you know, young life, and I've never realized how selfish my perspective is about music. It's for me, and it makes me feel good. And they look at individuals in, in the room where they're playing, and all of a sudden they go, oh, oh, this is something I can give. So it's hugely personally rewarding. 
How can people get involved if um, if they'd be interested in volunteering with Artisan Healthcare Manitoba? Phone us, email us. Yeah. And where can people go if they want to get more information about the organization or some of the programs that you offer? Our website. I think it's got the most recent annual report on it. So you can, that's the most exhaustive information on the organization. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shirley, for joining us this morning. And thank you uh, for taking the time to tell us about Artisan Healthcare Manitoba. Thanks, Thanks very much for your time. That's great. Thanks, Robert, and thank you for listening to River City 360. Also wanted to send out a very special thank you for, to Chris, uh, who won two tickets uh, last week to the Fast Pitch Final. Uh, and this week, we've actually got two more tickets to give away. Robert, tell, tell our listeners about it. All right, so I'm sure people know by now all about <laughs> Fast Pitch. We've covered it a lot That's on the true. program. But it's a great initiative. Uh, it's an initiative of the Winnipeg Foundation, um, and there are several sponsors as well who have helped, um, who have helped made it ha- make it happen as well. Um, so how it works is it's kind of, if I had to give you an elevator pitch, it's kind of like a charitable version of Dragon's Den. Great so, show. Great show. Um, leaders from different charitable organizations throughout our city are matched with um, people in our local business and professional community, and they work together to create a three-minute pitch for their charitable organization. Who they are, what they do, and uh, how they do it, basically. Yeah, just summed up in a, in a three-minute package, um, how to really make an impact in 180 seconds, basically. There's some fantastic finalists. We have uh, Arts Junction, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Kids Sport Winnipeg, the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, Local Investment Through Employment, Prairie Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, Sarasvati Productions, uh, the Sexual Education Resource Center, Shakespeare in the Ruins, and the Spence Neighborhood Association. So if you've ever dealt with any of those fantastic organizations, they are the top 10 that are going to be presenting this Thursday at the Fast Pitch Final. Uh, It's taking place at the Met, and we have two tickets to give away to one of our listeners and we would love if that was you if you if you want to come it's uh, 7 p.m on thursday april 7th so give us a call uh call our listener line at 204-944-9474 extension 360 and tell us why you deserve to win the tickets just tell us about any of your experiences with any of the uh organizations that i named or why why Winnipeg is a great place and why you deserve to come to the fast pitch final. So again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360 for the River City 360 listener line. And for those of you listening on our podcast, we will make the draw Tuesday at noon. So you still have a chance, even if you're not listening live here Sunday morning. Tuesday at noon, we will make the draw and we will give the winner a call on Tuesday afternoon. Perfect. So give us a call, everyone. We can't wait to hear from you and thank you for listening. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to tell us about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of the Citizen Journalism Project Community News Commons. But first, here's Herbert Alpert and Tijuana Brass with Flowers on the Wall right here on RC360. Five, six, seven,
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert with you here this morning, and we are now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons. Noah, thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Great. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad. It's, Excellent. It's a beautiful day. I like doing the show, so uh, life's good. <laughs> For sure. How is Winnipeg doing through the lens of your community journalists at Community News Commons? Well, you know, I learned so many things as convener of Community News Commons. Um, and one of the things I learned this week was uh, the existence of a foundation called Creative Foundation Incorporated. And this is a, a nonprofit uh, organization that uh, citizen reporter Genevieve Henderson writes about. And uh, essentially she um, describes Creative Foundation as a place where young people are able to come together and use art as a way to uh, basically build a harmonious and understanding society. It's a valuable, valuable goal. It sure is, especially with youth. You know, you, you give them some visual art, dance, performance, theater, other different types of artistic expression, and you put it into sort of a package that shows them the value of of, of basically creating uh, positive change in the world. And um, hmm. it's a, it's a, it was a program started by um, a, a fellow by the name of Yisa Akinbolaji, and he's from Nigeria. He came here, he immigrated to Canada in 1997, and he had this idea back in Nigeria, and he thought he would bring this concept to Winnipeg, this nonprofit organization called Creative Foundation Incorporated. Cool. So that's a great story by uh, Genevieve Henderson. I think our listeners would really be interested in seeing how young people are going to change the world. Especially with creativity and the arts often getting their budgets, budgets cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to have those sort of extracurricular activities to fill the void a little bit. And exactly. It's great. Exactly. So what else is happening in community news comments? Well, the other story I think our listeners would really like is a story about Jessie Lang. She turned she turned 100. Uh, uh, this, a century. Uh, yes, a century. century years it, old. But Jessie is no ordinary 100-year-old um, woman. <laughs> uh, throughout her life, she has been an extraordinary icon. Uh, so there's a little profile piece about uh, how uh, Jessie Lang had, has challenged our perception of women in the workforce, society in general. She's always remained committed to, to, to everyone, regardless of gender or ability. And she sort of embodies this blend of compassion and action. And cool. so she turns 100, and um, we thought we'd put up a little profile piece that I think our listeners would really enjoy looking at uh, a, a, a terrific uh, woman who's celebrating a, a huge milestone. Well, happy birthday. Yes, Why indeed. not? 100 years. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in the future? I know we ask about what's already been kind of published but tell tell me about some give me a give me an exclusive of what's coming down the pipe on cnc okay well a couple of stories coming up this week that i think um uh, our listeners uh, would really like to uh, check out uh the first one is by ann haw and uh ann talks about the uh 85th birthday of the goodwill uh, stores, uh, Manitoba Goodwill stores oh, yeah. are turning 85 this week, and um, you know there was some trouble with some Goodwill stores in Ontario and in other parts of Canada. Manitoba is not affiliated with those stores. With those stores, in fact, uh, the Manitoba Goodwill stores are extremely successful, <laughs> and uh, they do a, a, a lot of tremendous uh, work in our community. Uh, in fact, 89% of donations to Goodwill Manitoba go directly into hiring. Uh, supporting and training workers no matter what obstacles they face in their life. And um, it's a it's a really interesting organization that turns 85, and um, they really um, 
do a, a, a terrific job mm-hmm. in terms of uh, supporting community. And so Anne has a, a very interesting profile of that particular charity. Uh, the other story is about caregivers. And I know that our listeners uh, would be interested to know that Manitoba is the only province that has a caregiver recognition uh, act as well. They, Manitoba is the only place where there's a caregiver, caregiver recognition day, which happens on Tuesday, April 5th. So this coming Tuesday, um, it's a day where we celebrate our caregivers and um, basically uh, one uh, third of Manitobans are caregivers of oh. some form or another. Oh, we can feel a little bit, we can give ourselves a little pat on the back for that, hey? Yeah, I think we can. We, we care about each other we here We care about each other, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's a tremendous thing, whether it's a, you know, um, uh, you know, it's a middle-aged person caregiving for their, you know, right. their uh, mother or father, or uh, whether it's uh, somebody who works in the field, um, it's a really valuable uh, thing to celebrate. We're a caring bunch here, and because we care about our listeners, <laughs> how about we give them a little taste of some Manitoba music? Yes, indeed. This week I want to feature Quentin Blair, who I really, really like. Quentin, he's gearing up for another busy year. He's a really busy musician. He um, He's had a lot of recent uh, showcases uh, at the Folk Alliance International in Kansas City. Uh, he was at Flint, um, uh, Flint Flon's Manitoba Showcase. Um, lots of different uh, awards, country music awards. And um, he will be at the RBC Convention Center on April 9th for an album release party. That album that is going to be released is called Cash Crop. And from that album is a song called Following Him Around. So here is Quentin Blair with his tune Following Him Around right here on River City 360, 93.7 CJNU-FM. Well, the round bell feeders to Tamdee still But three white fans wrapped around this field And I can't afford the mailbox anymore Well, the cattle picked through the last of the hay Was all full of mold cause it bailed in the rain So I turned them out just to graze on the standing cone has man supposed to keep it all tied down when he feels a ghost following him around is it all money running a small town store they stole it from steel town the night before Send it away for the day to bring it back again They're just cutting it out, driving it up Stealing their bones for another cash crop Some days I think they'll let anyone buy this ground Has men supposed to keep
chipping again. Stripping the leaves as the frost settles in. A second pair of socks just to walk across the kitchen floor. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, visit us online at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. And please give us a call if you have any feedback about the show, if you'd uh, like to request a song, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for future shows, or if you were interested in winning tickets to Fast Pitch the Showcase this Thursday, here's your chance to write that number down one more time. So that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204 944 9474 extension 360 leave us a message we're also on twitter and facebook you can search at river city 360 on twitter or river city 360 on facebook i'm nolan bicknell signing off for rc360 and i'm robert zirk thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week at 8 15 sunday morning have a great sunday <laughs>